everyone welcome to another episode of drop the mic i am your host Darren jenkins on today's show i am a forge coming from all the way in the alps um louis munier um director of kabuliwood and um thank you for coming on and uh and joining me for the podcast today is really looking forward to having this conversation thanks for having me uh, Darren. Nice to see you. Nice to speak with you. So you're in the Alps right now, um, but where are you originally? Where are you originally from? So uh, I'm French. Maybe as you can hear from my accent, I'm I'm from Paris. Uh, I live in the Middle East. I live in Amman in Jordan, and mm. uh, I just got to the Alps. It's my uh, secret retreat. <laughs> I'm just here to to regroup. Mm. And. Um, yeah, because, you know, I so, you know, first I was, I kind of looked through some of your IMDb and um, you've done a fair, you've done a lot of work, like a lot of work, a lot of award-winning documentaries and TV projects. Um, most of it focused in that region of the Middle East. Um can you tell me, like, so what was, you know, like, I guess first, let's start at the beginning. Where, when did you get into filmmaking? Um, I first got to Afghanistan before going into filmmaking. Mm. I arrived in Afghanistan in um, early 2002, so just after the fall of the Taliban regime. Mm. And uh, I was supposed to stay there just for six months uh, working on uh, as a humanitarian. But mm. uh, I ended I ended up spending uh, 10, 12 years there. And I actually wow. started a, a video production company in Kabul back in 2007. And this is uh, when I got into uh, filmmaking. Wow. What what so, so what what was the like, why? Why did that? being there start like get you down the road of filmmaker what made you decide to become a filmmaker um i mean i i loved um being create creative and uh, filmmaking is a good way to express oneself but mm. uh, i would say i had two motivations behind uh, starting a film production in afghanistan the first one was to uh, to go beyond the headlines and the usual uh, cliche a trilogy of opium taliban and burqa and i wanted to show another facet of an amazing country and the second reason is uh, adventure i was mm. uh, looking for uh, for adventure and uh, afghanistan proved to be a, an amazing playground at least at the time uh, mm. you know with deserts and mountains and remote tribes uh, so yeah it was a very good playground to uh, a good uh, pretext for for adventures Mm. I mean, it's such a, I mean, your story is so, um, yeah, it's full. I would say it was definitely filled with, like, I would guess adventure for sure. Um, because, you know, generally, like most filmmakers, like I was watching um, a TV show on NBC the other night. Um, I think it's called The Debris. And they did, there was a, you know, an episode where supposedly it took place in the Middle East. And I don't, I say supposedly because I, I'm pretty sure they didn't shoot there. Um, and I think that's usually what happens to a lot of big productions is that they don't 
choose to shoot there. They'll shoot in either California or, you know, Australia or somewhere, and they'll kind of try to fake it. What was so important for you to kind of be there to get your story done? Uh, yeah, it's true that many... Um many films are being shot elsewhere uh, for security reasons, for insurance purposes. Insurance mm. do not cover you if you take your, your actors and your equipment to Afghanistan. Mm. Um, I, I wanted to share my experience with Afghanistan. I, I crossed the, the country on foot and on horseback. Wow. Um, and I wanted to share all these uh, these adventures. Um, I was playing Buskashi, which is a the Afghan national sports. I was playing right. Buskashi with a Kabul team. And so I wanted to put that in uh, pictures. And then I went to the highest peak of the country and I wanted to put that in pictures. So, I mean, there was no other way than a shooting on location. Mm. How, did, how, did the, how did the locals, you know, react to your, you know, being there trying to document a lot of this? Because this, uh, I, I, would, I would think there would be some pushback on that. Uh, no, actually, Afghan people are very, very welcoming. Hospitality mm. is part of uh, their uh, their daily life. It's uh, well, uh, way above uh, religion. You see, I mean, mm. uh, in, the, in the code of honor, the, the so-called Pashtun Wali, uh, hospitality is coming first, and uh, you, they have to honor you as a guest. And then they are they are also very, very proud and happy to share their their cultures, mm. share their their habits. So if you want to take someone in a, with, a, with a camera, picture someone with a camera, they will all stand in a line and be very happy to, uh, <laughs> to, yeah, <laughs> to stand in front of the camera. So the challenge is actually to get something more spontaneous and more natural. But no, mm. uh, Afghan people are extremely happy to, um, to, to, for you to bear testimony of what's happening in the country. Mm. The, um, I mean, uh, it was funny because right literally right before we came on the air here um a friend of mine posted something on um facebook which kind of uh, was some video of some of the stuff that's happening currently in the middle east um which is you know it's terrible to see that you know it, you know, I was watching. So this is the second per. You're the second person in the last two weeks that I've interviewed who's done work in the, in Afghanistan shooting, and um, each person has done different types of work. Like they were kind of more documenting um, what it, it's like to be in a place where. Every day you wake up, you're not exactly sure what's going to happen, but you try to meet the day with as much positive as you possibly can because it's pretty tough to kind of survive a place that gets torn down every time you turn around. There are some faction or some, whether it's local or some international faction is is fighting in that region. So they were kind of documenting these people's personal stories and um, you know, I, it just occurs to me that there's so much history that's being overwritten in Afghanistan. And I see that you were, um, you're working on a documentary for about Buddhist heritage of Afghanistan. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, actually, it's my it's my next uh, project. I'm uh, currently doing some writing, and I'm supposed to start filming in uh, in a couple of weeks. Mm. Um, you see, Afghanistan is really at the crossroad of empires. So um, you have the Chinese um, Chinese era on one side, the Indian era on one side, and then uh, the, the the European and Middle Eastern influence. And um, so you had all these empires which uh, confronted themselves in Afghanistan. And uh, if you just dig anywhere in Afghanistan, you will see all these layers of uh, history. Right. And uh, somehow Afghan people have uh, synthesized all this today and uh, into a, a unique identity um, mm. at the crossroads, yes, of uh, cultures and, and, and empires. And what's stunning is to, to see that today... Um, Afghanistan is quite a, a very strong Muslim hotspot, but it used to be the center of uh, Buddhism when uh, Buddhism, uh, I mean, came to, 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 to life uh, in the 5th century before Christ in the Ganja area in India. I mean, Buddha had three disciples and two of them went to Afghanistan. At, at that time, it was not called Afghanistan yet, but... Uh, right in um, nowadays Afghanistan, and um, there they met the Greek. I mean, at that time, Afghanistan was Greek. And so you had this um, wow. artist making uh, statues. And, um, and uh, the two disciples uh, asked the, the local artist, uh, influenced mm. by the Greek culture, to, to, to do a statue of their own um, god, of Buddha. And the first statue of Buddha was actually created in Afghanistan. In India, it was only a footprint or a lotus flower before to, to represent wow. the Buddha. So the statues of Buddha were actually first made in Afghanistan. And the first stupa, the stupa is this um, religious building, uh, was also first erected in Afghanistan. And this is from Afghanistan that Buddhism went afterwards elsewhere, north to, to China, to Korea, to Japan, and so on. So for all these countries, uh, Afghanistan is like a Roma for us, uh, for me as a European. You see, it's it's a very strong um, uh, cultural um, spot. Wow! So I'm digging into all this and following some characters who are fighting uh, to 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 preserve their history, to build their future. Um, acknowledging the fact that you cannot build a nation if you don't know your history, your roots, where you come from, etc. Wow, that's impressive. Um... Yeah, a lot of people don't know that, you know, they don't know that, uh, you know, that um, that Buddhism came through Afghanistan. I think I don't I don't think a lot of people even knew that, um, which is incredible. They, you know, they always assume that it starts starts in Asia, but it, or, you know, in like China and and, you know, but. That's not necessarily true. And the world's religions, a lot of the world's religions run, came, like, you know, all converged in that in that region. And which was just so fascinating um, that if you, you know, if you're discovering, if you're, you know, studying religion, you're, you know, you're going to be in Afghanistan, at least at some point, um, as as things converge, um, what what why why this interest in doing the the story and what type like is this going to be a um, it, this is not going to be a documentary I would assume right no no it is actually a documentary oh it is uh, okay. for a cultural uh, channel which is called Arte uh, which is both French and German 
and it's um, it's like a cultural investigation into the, the present and the past of Afghanistan. Mm. So I'm following some uh, real life characters into their activities, which is very challenging uh, these days. Looking at the security mm. situation, knowing that uh, everything that uh, touches to pre-Islamic um, history is very very touchy, and yeah. that uh, a lot of these sites are in um, Pashtun or Taliban control areas. So. Oh, yeah, it's a challenging uh, project, but uh, let's see. Fingers crossed. What goes into kind of creating, like, you know, trying to, you know, tell that story? Do you have to, you know, um, prearrange permissions to be in certain areas or do you kind of guerrilla style it and try to get in and get out before anyone notices? Well, uh, when you shoot in Afghanistan, it's always guerrilla style. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, you always have a a shooting plan and a schedule, but in the end, nothing uh, happens uh, as per the plan. So, yes, of course, you need authorization and a lot lot of authorization from different ministries, from uh, different uh, rulers, local uh, tribal leaders, etc., etc. But in the end, nothing uh, happens as per the plan. And, um, yeah, you need to be very, very flexible. You need to, to be a small team being able to uh, to evolve um, sneak through uh, the situation um, yeah and this is what uh, makes it uh, somehow interesting well speaking of things not going the way you planned it um, I was reading up on your um, film Kabuliwood and which one the story uh, sounds fascinating I, I feel like um, that's such a Oh, wow. What's the word I would use? It's such an indie-minded purpose behind the film um, in that trying to, you know, kind of tell the story of these people trying to open the cultural center. Um, But it didn't go the way you thought it would go, and it was a f- fair amount of danger that was presented to you in, in the in the production of this film, correct? Yeah, correct. Uh, let, let me say that I, I'm not a redneck and I'm not uh, attracted <laughs> and looking for danger, but uh-huh. um, this is just uh, the, the way things were. And uh, right. actually, I mean, the, 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 the origin of the film um, is, is about a group of artists who decide to uh, open a cultural center in downtown Kabul. And... Um, Myself arriving in Afghanistan uh, early 2002, I mean, I witnessed all this um, cultural scene, which was uh, blossoming at the time. You had a lot of uh, dancers and musicians and uh, poets, um, yeah, artists of all kinds. And we were dreaming of uh, opening um, a venue, a real uh, cultural center. Mm. And um, we had some money from some uh, sponsors and uh, we were ready to open um, a cultural center. But things, I mean, went astray. The situation deteriorated and the money just vanished. So no one was ready anymore to support this uh, foolish project. So we decided oh. to do it in a in a fictitious way, in a film, in a fiction, telling the fictitious stories of a band of artists who decide to um, to open a cultural center in Kabul. So we wrote a script. And uh, we had this uh, solid uh, story. And then we needed a place to uh, host the, the, the film, the film being right. about uh, a, a cultural place. And uh, scouting through Kabul, I, I, I found this um, 
this amazing uh, theater, uh, 1,000 seats with a balcony and red velvet seats and a, a golden screen, and said, okay, it has to happen here. The, the theater had uh, miraculously survived 30 years of war. And um, yeah, it was really uh, a, an amazing place. And when I knocked, first knocked on the door, the man who opened was actually the projectionist who had been living in the theater for the past 40 years. And um, so he became one of the characters of the film. And, uh, and in the end, we said, OK, we're going to spend so much time and money and energy to renovate this, um, this theater that we'll let's try to do it for real. So um, here we go, trying to shoot a film and renovating a, a huge cinema. And of course, things do not go according to plan because mm. uh, because, uh, yeah, you have lots of attacks and bombings and lots of threats against artists in general, against women in particular. So um, all the, the adventures that we had uh, put in our script actually happened on the set. <laughs> so we were threatened by gunmen and uh, our house was riddled with bullets and uh, wow. uh, there was a bombing. And, um, yeah, we had a few very, very narrow escapes. And... Um, so we had to readapt the, the, the script every day, you know, mm. and be very, very flexible. So the film in the end is very different from what we had uh, originally planned. But uh, we were very lucky, very relieved to have, um, to have a film to, mm. uh, to bear testimony of uh, this uh, yeah, golden era. Right. Wow. And speaking of Golden, you, you you guys actually won the Golden Critics Award at Geneva's International Oriental Film Festival in 2017, which is awesome. Um, I, I, you know, I, um, I think what you're doing is amazing because it's, you know, um, I talk to a lot of independent filmmakers, and but I've I've yet to have um, anyone. Um, be in a place where, you, like, in in an in, in an area where they're getting shot at, and and I think there's got to be a certain commitment to the mission um, to do what you want to do, what you guys are doing. And I was looking at um, your production website, which I, some of your projects are so amazing. Um, I was looking at the um, project uh, Ambassadors of the Future, which was a, the 10, ten episode television series. Did it, so is that is that a series that has is it running currently or? Um, yeah. yeah, yes, it is running in the Middle East. Uh, uh, actually, I, I, I work as a director, like once every couple of years, to do my own film. And mm -hmm. on the side, I run a communication agency, which uses um, information to foster positive change, assuming that um, acknowledging that we live in the third millennium and that today information is a, a vital staple, just like food and education. Right. And you can actually empower people with information. And right. um, so I have a, a branch of the companies established in Amman, Jordan, and we cover the Middle East, so Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey, Iraq, Yemen, all these countries that go through a lot of turmoil these days. And we empower refugees, mostly refugees, with information. You know, they step into a country, they don't know about the legislative framework, they don't know about their rights, their duties. So we empower them with information and uh, we showcase them in clips that we uh, broadcast on TV, but that we also disseminate through a social network. Mm. 
because it's amazing to see that uh, all these people, sometimes they didn't have electricity, they didn't have power back in their home 10 years ago, and now they have the 4G in the in the palm of their hand, you know, on their mobile phone. And right, they are right. intensive users of social media, so it's a very good way to uh, reach out to them. So we are doing all these uh, clips um, covering different topics, ranging from legal documentation to water and sanitation. And uh, the project you mentioned is actually about uh, waste management, mm. uh, about educating children about um, on, on good behavior to uh, prevent uh, 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 an intense uh, waste uh, consumption. Right. Wow. It's funny because, I mean, you don't think of that as an issue. Like Americans don't think of that as an issue, but it is a, it's a huge issue. It's a, it's a massive issue. And it's, you know, not only in that country, but worldwide contributes to the climate, to, to climate change. Um, and I, I, I just love that because I think that's where it starts to get to teach people early on those things. So that way. Um, they they build good habits and understand the impact past their own um, environments and to have you know it, it kind of I just think that's such a fantastic project. Thank you, thank you, Darren. Um, what um, what um, you know, like as a filmmaker, what are some of the things that when you're creating content? that has such a specific audience how how do you go about um trying to finance it like like because you know as a filmmaker you know generally speaking when we here in the states as an indie filmmaker we we try to it's it's different i guess in a lot of ways because we're, they're not doing such mission oriented content for the most part and so you know, finance is a little different for us. Um, how how do, how do you guys get to finance these projects that, to me, obviously are are well worth doing, but sometimes what you want to do and what the people who with the money want to do are kind of two different things. Yeah. Yeah, so I have two sets of activities, yes. The one related to my communication agency is all about commissions. So I get commissions from UN agencies and foundations and NGOs. And um, so you have all these standards. And when I go into a project, I know that I have a sponsor. Mm. Uh, for the other projects, um, producing and directing documentaries and feature films, um, yes, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm an, indie, an indie person. So everything mm. comes from um, the will and the desire, the motivation that I have somewhere, somewhere in my guts. So I spend a lot of time researching, documenting, um, going on location to identify characters. And then I go through writing a, a lot of uh, documents that <laughs> I uh, submit uh, here and there. And um, so far, I've been quite lucky because uh, in the end, I, I was uh, able to uh, attract attention of uh, broadcasters. Mm -hmm. So um, just like my next project, the one we were talking about a bit earlier about the Buddhist heritage uh, I was actually turned into a commission by a, a famous um, TV channel so 
yeah mm. um, i feel uh, i feel very lucky very grateful i think it's also due to the fact that um, i'm focusing on areas that usually uh, occupy the headlines of the news and i'm offering a, a different look at things so from a journalistic perspective it's always very interesting for broadcasters to show um, this angle as well mm. do you think you'll like it i mean do you think that at some point you'll um, pivot and do anything any other types of you know stories um, or is this something that you think is you know this is your this is your niche this is where you want to live uh, no I'm not sure I mean I like to to go out of my comfort zone all the time so I am not established and I never consider myself as a as a writer um, I've written three books but I'm not a writer I've done a dozen documentaries but I'm not a, a filmmaker you know I'm, I'm doing a project and once it's over I don't know what is the next project mm. um, and here I, I'm actually in the middle of the, the, the French mountains the French Alps and um, looking ahead at the future uh, thinking about what to do next when the, the mm. next film about Afghanistan is over and I think I would like to shoot somewhere here in, uh, in Europe uh, human stories with a universal uh, message uh, very far away from uh, conflict zones I need some uh, respite <laughs> Yeah, I could, I can, I can, I can understand that. Um, I think it's you know, so. Um, again, this was the second interview that I've done this week, and I think that you guys have something similar, which is kind of like, you know, so many times people try to define themselves with a title of sorts, but I think titles certain titles don't do enough justice to like what you you know what the scope of things that you'd want to do um like uh, uh i was speaking to um gabriel gornell who's you know he does music he does film and, and but his his title was entertainment architect and that's because you know nice so title. much yeah, it's a great title, right? I told him it was like I want that title because it 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 leaves you in a place where you can feel like you're not being boxed in. You know what I mean? And it can be just about anything, and it's it's essentially what he's doing. He's he is building entertainment pieces, projects, and. What that means, it could mean anything. It could mean he's finding the money. It could mean he's writing writing the episode. It could mean he's producing or directing. You know, so um, I totally understand. I think that's a mindset that to that a lot of um, storytellers um, are starting to take because because being a filmmaker to me is almost limiting in a lot of ways. Um, it doesn't tell, give you the full range of things that you could potentially achieve. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Maybe Storyteller is the best uh, title. Uh, I mean, the one that I like the most, at least, you know, and yep. uh, story can, uh, stories can take a lot of different forms. And uh, everything is about storytelling. Uh, our culture is based on storytelling and uh, the power of stories is very strong. And um, if you manage to convey emotion, uh, then right. your story is strong and your story is remembered. And actually, right. uh, we have a very strong uh, 
forgetting curve. You know, we are just flooded with information and visuals and uh, films. And at the end of the day, we can't remember them all. And we just stick to, we just remember what um, uh, impressed our emotions. So mm. the craft of the storyteller is to, um, to craft stories, strong stories with um, the one that uh, conveys emotion. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually got the, um, I think it was 2014, 2015, I would South by Southwest and uh, met, Christine Fashan and she she's the person who gave me the word storyteller. She's like, I think that's the most accurate thing um, ter term because, you know, as a storyteller, it could be so many different things and so, so many different um, types of media, you know, and um, as a filmmaker, like if you if you just want to say you're a filmmaker, what does that mean? Like, like then you have to kind of say, what does that mean? Like, does that mean that you're only behind the camera? Does that mean you're writing or directing? Or does it mean that you're helping to craft the story? Storyteller is just so much more of a, I think a, a, a more descriptive and broad stroked term that I think fits most of people who are creating like yourself it's true, now. It's true. yes i totally agree um if you weren't so you know if you were you know when you went to afghanistan you didn't you weren't going there to plan to be a storyteller but you ended up there if you was there anything else that you thought that you would have done instead of what you're doing right now? <laughs> no, you know, my first job, I was working as a trader in a um, stock exchange <laughs> room, you know, really? so uh, I looked like my life has taken a, a few turns and uh, no, I don't know where um, life would have uh, taken me, but mm. um, basically I was uh, looking to, for, for, for ways to go out of the routine and do exciting things. Mm. I had spent my childhood um, reading uh, travel books, adventure books, and I just wanted to uh, be one of the characters I was reading about. And uh, Afghanistan was a really um, the, the perfect place for that. You know, um, you can uh, you can walk for for days and days in the nature, pristine nature, without meeting anyone, or just very proud uh, horsemen or uh, people walking with their camels. And um, so it's a very yeah, it's a fascinating place. And um, it was a perfect place for me. What was what was something that, you know, had, so had you been to Afghanistan before that? And if if not, what was the most surprising thing you discovered when you got there? Well, there are many things. And I had never been to Afghanistan before. Uh, although my family had spent some time there. Um, my grandparents uh, spent uh, 50 years in the region. Mm. Um, so um, I had heard of Afghanistan, but the most surprising things was to uh, witness a game of Buskashi, which is a national, uh, it's a national game of Afghanistan. And Buskashi literally means goat grabbing. So it's a horde of uh, horsemen playing okay. with a carcass of a dead goat 
uh, a dead calf. It's very heavy. And the winner is a free-for-all. So basically, the winner is the one that manages to, to, to get hold of the carcass and drop it into a circle uh, drawn uh, onto the ground. It's called the halal, the justice circle. And it's fascinating to see the, the, the skill, the craft, the violence that people put, that the, 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 the horsemen put into this game and the devotion mm. of, the, of the audience. And um, it's a total uh, frenzy. Wow, I don't think I've ever heard of that game before. Oh, you should Google it. it it's, it's really impressive and it's uh, beautiful. It, and actually, it's uh, somehow an arena of um, political tensions. And people say that you cannot understand Afghanistan if you've never seen again of, uh, of, of Buskashi. Um, yeah, so this was really fascinating. And I, I decided myself that well, this is what I, I need to do, I want to do. Mm. And I had to, yeah, to strive for many years to gain, um, to gain a, a number in a Kabul team and, and uh, finally be accepted uh, among the horsemen. So mm. I played uh, there for, for three years. And uh, I decided I would turn my, my story into a book, um, wow. into a film, etc., etc. Oh, so you wrote a book about this? Yeah, it's it's not been uh, translated so far, but uh, okay. It was written What's in the French. name of the book. It was a good way for me to share um, things that were um, hard to 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 describe or to share upon a cup of tea. Mm. Okay, okay. Um, who who are some of your um, who are some of your inspirations when you're when you're, you know, either while you're growing up or as a as a storyteller now? Um, who are some of the people that you kind of look at and and or like have looked toward to, as as inspiration? Um, I mean, I, I'm French, so I'm I'm bound to uh, to quote some some French authors' uh, names, such as uh, Joseph Kessel and Romain Gary. Um, these people, at least for the French, uh, are quite um, uh, genius uh, adventurers and uh, genius uh, writers. Mm. And I'm still looking upon uh, these people who serve as, uh, yes, model or Saint-Exupéry, who was both a pilot and, uh, and a writer, and um, who was looking at things from above. And, um, yeah, I think th these guys are eternal uh, sources of inspiration for me and for many others. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Um, I was, uh, to go back to Kabuliwood real quick, um, I actually uh, was listening to because you suggested I listen to uh, Orange Blossom. Yeah. Uh, how did you find this, this 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 these these people? Well, they are quite famous in France, and uh, I was listening to oh, their really? music. And you know, when uh, you're working on an edit, you always tweak things and sequences, and uh, you take the music you like and uh, to see if it's working. You need a, a kind of a momentum and inspiration to um, to carry the sentence. So I was using my my favorite uh, music from uh, Orange Blossom, and um, and it was working so well. I didn't want to touch it, mm. so I called the guys. I found uh, them on internet. I googled them, and uh, and I got their phone number and said, "Okay, sure, let's use it." But uh, 
why don't we do original music together? So we spent some time in their studio and uh, we actually had uh, some original uh, soundtrack made with them. Mm. And they are a great band because um, they are at the convergence of um, many influences. Uh, you have people from Mexico, people from Africa, people from Asia, from the Middle East, and they all come together to bring their, their inspiration and come with a very eclectic uh, music. Mm. So it was a perfect uh, fit for the film. Yeah, it was um, like I, I like different types of music, so I was like very interested in listening to them. They're very good. I mean, just um, like I, I, my experience with that type of music is very minimal, but I thought it was really good. And um, I saw the trailer for Kabuliwood, and um, I was like, this fits. This really fits the. They, um, I do another podcast where we, we do, we talk about movies and their soundtracks, and so I was just like, oh yeah, this this movie, this music completely fits what they're trying to do in this, and there was like some really nice, um, fast paced scenes in in it where I was just kind of like, this was really um, scored really really nicely. Great, thank you. Thanks for your kind words. Um, what's next for you as a? Um, I know you're in the Alps there, so you're going to try to. Are you? Are you going to take some downtime? What do you do when you're not working? What's your way to kind of relax and unwind? Um, I'm, I'm a workaholic, so I, <laughs> I don't do that very often. Uh, I run a company. I'm working with a lot of. Uh, people uh, over the Middle East, so uh, it's hard to find some uh, some days off. But uh, when I have some spare time, I, I, I spend it with my family. I have two children, oh, cool. and uh, I spend as much time as possible with them. Um, they are not here for the moment, but, you know, with a uh, lockdown, I've been 24-7 uh, uh, with them for like uh, eight, nine months, something like that. Mm. So, How did uh, how did COVID impact what you got, what you were doing, like in your, in your, any of your projects? I mean, did it kind of derail anything or put anything on hold or? Yeah. I mean, for, for the film projects, I mean, the film projects were put on hold. Uh, I was supposed to shoot in Afghanistan, like uh, already almost a year ago. And now I'm hoping to shoot in a couple of weeks. Uh, for the other activities, the communication campaigns, everything has shifted online, which was already a, a tendency. You know, it was already part of the game. Right. So I would say it was uh, it has somehow accelerated things. Uh, I used to organize a lot of events and meetings, and now everything is online. I just do uh, so many webinars and <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah. What people into Zoomers? What um. You know, so a lot of people who listen to my podcast are um, filmmakers. And what would be some advice you'd give to a, a, a storyteller that, you know, wants to shoot in Afghanistan at some point in their career? Well, uh, I'm not really in the position of giving advice. I'm uh, 42 only, you know, and uh, I'll give advice in, in 20 years from now. But if I can say one thing is, I mean, don't shoot in Afghanistan. It, it's too dangerous. It's too mm. risky. It's, uh, it's not a good time to go. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the situation is deteriorating and more and more. 
And uh, when we reach the bottom, we believe that's it. But it, it gets even worse. You know, right. just like the bombings that happened a few days ago targeting uh, uh, girls' schools. We made uh, 80 victims. And uh, one of yesterday also in a mosque. And uh, so I, I don't know if it's really worth uh, risking their lives. Uh, myself, I, I somehow have commitment there. You know, I spent so much time and uh, um, I... I signed up on some projects that I want to carry to the end. But uh, the, the world is very big and uh, there are many other um, destinations. Mm. What, what from a, from a, just a filmmaker um, point of view, what, what kind of um, advice would you give from like a, just, or, or like a lesson that you learned on the set or production wise that, maybe might be useful for somebody who's just getting ready to get started um like from an organizational or creative standpoint what what are some things that you do that might be useful to someone else mm, i can say a couple of things i mean the, the first one and when i see um younger filmmakers even younger than i am uh, asking me for advice they say oh what camera should i buy and mm. When, when all these technical questions are really secondary. I mean, we don't need a good camera. We don't need expensive equipment to shoot a story. Right. The most important is actually the story. If you have a good story, then no matter the equipment. So um, people always rush to, uh, to press the start button of the camera. Most time you spend researching and writing, the better. The stronger the story, the better the mm -hmm. film in the end. And I think this is really lesson number one for me. Another very strong lesson is that um, reality is always stronger than uh, fiction, you know, and if you look at what's happening around, if you speak to people, then uh, you can find uh, so much inspiration. And uh, mm -hmm. when you see real things happening in a film, sometimes you, you do not believe them. You say, no, 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 it's not possible. <laughs> Just like what happened for Kabuliwood, actually. So, so we had this feature film, which is, um, let's say, very steady with a very clean image and, uh, and a script. And then we have the behind the scene documentary, which I believe is somehow stronger in terms of a narrative, you know, because all the unfolding events are actually for, for real. So you understand that you have real people um, uh, experiencing this. Mm. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I was saying, I, uh, I think I asked this question to a few different people. And I think almost every person said exactly the same thing. They're like, make sure that your, your script and your story is just tight and good. And, and, you know, don't worry about the tech, the technology part of it. The technology part, you can shoot with a DSLR. You can shoot with exactly. cell phone these days. I mean, God knows. I mean, how many good films have come off of an iPhone now? You know, exactly. It's really about what the story is and how you convey it. You know, so I, I, love, I love that. Um, uh, before we go. Um, I will just say that um, Kabuliwood is it, so. This was shot when? This was um, shot in 2017. Is that correct? No, actually, it was shot in 2015. 15? Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was a very, very long process of uh, pre production, production, and post production. And mm. actually, 
yeah, the main theme was shot in 2015, but then we used some footage from um, 2016 and 2017, and the mm. film was finally released in uh, 2019, so oh, a year wow. and a half ago only. And what's striking is that um, I need to sell my film a little bit, right? Uh, <laughs> what's striking is that uh, the, the film is uh, really mirroring the, the, the current events. I mean, it's still uh, really matching the current situation, unfortunately. Actually, yeah. we are just uh, um, speaking about the departure of uh, foreign troops, of American troops, right. and this is just happening uh, today. So, um, oh, yeah, wow. so, uh, yeah, it's not uh, the, the film is not uh, that old. Wow, that's in that's incredible that you could work on something six years ago, and then when it comes out, it's like it was like you shot it this year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, exactly. You know, wow. That's and, hmm. yeah, and uh, all the bombings that you see in the films are happening today in Kabul, unfortunately. And um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a truly um, honest and um, precious uh, picture of uh, Kabul. You know, it's it's very it's very unusual to have a film which is actually shot in Afghanistan and not in a, another location in a studio somewhere. Mm. So um, I think it's. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud and very happy as a producer, as a director, to be able to, to make this film. And it's uh, somehow a testimony for all the people who are risking their lives on a daily basis. Because, I mean, yes, obviously we took a lot of risk to make this film, but this is what um, people in Afghanistan face on a daily basis, you know, and yeah. they are the real heroes. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I, I definitely encourage people to watch Kabuliwood um, because... <laughs> I th it, it, it's a it's a good story in the sense because so, you know you have like is you hear of all this stuff that's happening in Afghanistan and it's you focus on them on this one story, this one good story that uh, that's trying to happen, and I think that's just uh, you know that really touches my heart when you know you can kind of pull out these just wonderful stories out of a place that is very hard to be in right now and you know give them give people a, a glimpse into not it doesn't always have to be about bad that's what i guess what i'm trying to say it should be you know there should be some good stories that happen out of it um or at least try to happen out of it and um i think it's important to share that with with american audience and, and, and other people as well indeed um, and it, I believe that people can watch it now currently um, online, which is available on Google, Amazon, iTunes, and in demand. I'm actually going to watch it tonight. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going out after work, get my, get my food, and I'm going to sit here and watch it because I, I, I was like, this is this I love good storytelling. I love good storytelling. And I love um stories that people don't hear all the time. So great. Thank you. Enjoy. Enjoy the film. Um and if anyone wants to find out more about what you're doing, um, you can check out your website at taimani.com. Um Louis, this was, um, I'm so glad you got a chance to, to stop by and talk to me and take time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It's a, it was a true pleasure.
Hey, what's the weather like in the Alps right now, by the way? It's pouring with rain. It's been <laughs> like there is a storm around me, and I was so afraid that the correct uh, internet connection would uh, get lost. But uh, no. no, there are thunders, and um, it's amazing. Oh, well, hopefully it clears up so you can, you know, enjoy what probably is really i'm in new york so i know it's better than where i'm at right now um but you enjoy the rest of your weekend and enjoy your downtime well as much as you can get it thank you thank you so much darren thank you so much and thanks for having me you got it thank you everyone thank you for listening to another episode of the drop the mic podcast i am darren jenkins um please follow us on instagram and on facebook at dig this podcast until then i will talk to you soon stay safe everyone <laughs>